teach us how to teach. It never says, Lord, teach us how to start a new church or a new synagogue, any of those things. The thing that is recorded is, Lord, teach us how to pray. His prayer life must have been so dynamic, so compelling, that those that were around him wanted to learn how to pray. And so as we finish out this sermon series, we're going to dig into the next kind of set of verses that deal with this. Verses 13 through 15. Actually, before that, it's interesting, in in verses 5 through 7, Jesus first teaches on how not to pray. He says, don't use a bunch of empty words and phrases that are repetitive. Don't go through uh, this process of drawing any kind of attention to yourself. Don't pray like that. And he says, instead, pray like this. So let's read the verses together. Let's do something a little different. If you can, stand up. And let's read these together out loud. Verses 9 through 15, Matthew chapter 6. Let's read together. Here's how Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Go ahead and grab a seat. Now, some of you might have grown up in a church that also has this phrase included, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Anybody grew up in a church who, who would have repeated that? So before we go too far, let me just say, as we read in the ESV and Uh, There are other translations as well that don't include this. It's because in the earliest manuscripts, those words were never recorded. So at some point, they were added in. They're not theologically wrong. There's nothing necessarily bad about that. But in the earliest manuscripts, okay, that phrase was not included. So you might be wondering that this evening. Well, this prayer models how Jesus prayed, how he sought the Father, in love and submission, and he warns them about getting a prayer life that is simply going through the motions and is more ritualistic than a heart that is desiring to spend time with God. In verse 13 and specifically, I think it's kind of easy to miss the importance of that verse. At least when I thought about the Lord's Prayer and how you begin, and once you get to verse 13, it can become just this little tag on if you're not careful, right? At least not an temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. But, but I think with that being the thought, it is easy to just run through that verse and miss the real significance of the battle we all face. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 55, 8. God says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, God says. And so with that in mind, couch that in this reading of verse 13, when Jesus says, make sure you pray like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because my thoughts are not like God's thoughts. My ways are not like his ways. As a matter of fact, I kind of like going off on my own. It's easy to do, right? It comes natural. And when I do that, sometimes it gets me and it can get my whole family in trouble. As I thought about this uh, message this week, I was reminded of a time when uh, <clears throat> my kids were teenagers and uh, I decided I was going to take them on a three-week out west family vacation. Three weeks stuck in a van with mom and dad. Sounds like fun, right? So we take off on our uh, family vacation, got the van, borrowed a car top carrier, you know, so we looked like Chevy Chase doing the vacation thing. Everything's going great. I'd planned out my trip, and so I knew where I was going to stay each night in a hotel. We come to a piece of uh, our trip where we're in Utah, and uh, we drive into this town. And when I get into town, it, it wasn't a big town. There's a, you know, like the main drag that runs through town, and there's a sign up that said Rose Closed, and it's got a sign with an arrow pointing two different directions. I, I don't know, you just take your choice, I guess, right? So I take the turn to the right and takes us down a little side street, and I'm telling her this is before cell phones. Okay, I'm old. I'm telling my kids and my wife, look for the hotel. Look for the hotel. And we're driving down the streets, and finally somebody sees it, and it's on the other side, naturally, right? So... Jeff decides to take matters into his own hands. We're going to figure out a way to cut across and get over to where the hotel is. I'm looking for all the little streets I'm going down. All of them got barricades. Ha-ha. <laughs> I find a street that doesn't have a barricade. The problem is it's a narrow street, and I pull down, and I get to the end. The other side of the street has a barricade. So now I've got to turn right onto the road that was closed. Come to find out, this was closed because this was the biggest event for this town every year. It was a muscle car cruise-in. Yeah, you have to picture it. I pull in with the family van, car top carrier, and I'm in the parade. <laughs> My kids are embarrassed, horrified. I'm like, hey, they don't know you, just wave, you know? Just <laughs> We're stuck in the middle of the muscle car parade. Luckily, I get to the end. There's a way of an escape. The police remove the barricades and let me out. Anyway, all that to say is, isn't it easy just to rely on ourselves? think we can get this thing down? I know how to make it work. And my point is, if we're not careful, we live our spiritual lives the same way. Thinking, I've got this thing figured out. I got it. And the longer I walk as a Christian, the more dangerous that becomes because I wrongly forget my ways are not God's ways, my thoughts are not God's thoughts. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down tonight because it's going to be one of the central pieces I hope you remember. Remember this, sin is our biggest threat in life. 
and deliverance and forgiveness of sin is our greatest need. Let me say it again. Sin is our greatest threat in life. And deliverance from sin is our greatest need. And so as we dig into the last several verses of this prayer that Jesus teaches, I think he includes verse 13 saying, Hey, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is essential because sin's our biggest threat and deliverance from sin is our greatest need. We have to learn how to pray and be prepared. So tonight's message title is Praying for Spiritual Strength. Remember, our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And so we must pray to realign ourselves regularly with God. Well, we're in great need of the gospel. And if you've been a part of substance very long, we refer to the gospel over and over and over. Because the first uh, thing we need to acknowledge is that sin is our biggest threat, our separation from God because of our sin and the need for restoration, reconciliation. And for some of you, you've come to faith in Christ and you're living this new life, but here's the truth. The battle with sin's not over, is it? Then temptation to live in my old nature, relying on myself and my ways, just comes back over and over again. It's like Scott said just a few minutes ago. We all battle temptation. Should I say the music guy or Scott? Doesn't matter, okay. <laughs> and so our greatest threat is sin, and, and our greatest need is deliverance from sin, not once, but over and over as I battle a life to live faithfully to God. So I want you to think of this. We are sinful by nature, born with that nature, and by choice we rebel against God. Verse 13 says, learn to play like, pray like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to suggest this evening that Eliminating that from our prayer life really becomes a boast before God. Eliminating praying, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil becomes a boast before God. It's a boast because I wrongly think and wrongly minimize my temptation to sin and act as if I can handle it myself, right? We become arrogant if we're not careful, we minimize sin and its effect on our life and our relationship with God. Verse 13, the key theme then is temptation. Temptation. Now, carefully make sure you understand what this verse is not saying. When it says, lead us not into temptation, it is not implying that God tempts us. God does not tempt us. The word used for temptation can mean trials or tests in life. Scripture is very clear. God does not tempt us. But Jesus is saying, learn how to pray that we'll recognize the, our areas of weaknesses, those areas that we will be tested, we might become tried in. 
because we don't want to sin against God. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. Let's make sure you grasp the understanding that God does not tempt us. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. James 1, 13 through 15. Here's what God's word says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, sin tempts us. It's the doorway that becomes open to sin in our life. Think of this with me. Luke chapter 22, verse 40, the night before Jesus is crucified, he takes his disciples away to the garden to pray together. You remember the passage? And here's what he tells them. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Pray you don't fall into temptation. That, that could have been a temptation to be fearful it could have been a, a temptation to not rely on Christ or to deny Christ or to become angry and act out of anger, kind of like Peter would do when he cuts off the ear of the garden when he comes. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. In Jesus' own life, Luke chapter 4, after his baptism, it says the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted. And at the end of those set of verses, it says this. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed until a more opportune time. In Jesus' life, he faced temptation. Guys, that should bring great comfort to us to know that when we battle temptation, when we face temptation, our Lord, our Savior, can understand well, here's the deal. He was tempted in every way, as Scripture said, but did not sin. Temptation is something we will face, and we will face it the rest of our life. All temptation really comes from a heart that begins to question God and whether his love and comfort and care and provision is enough. At the end of the day, when temptation comes before us, we begin to rationalize and kind of begin that process, don't we? Is God really enough? Or could I be happier if I do this or do that? Temptation is always an invitation to walk and live separately from God. Temptation is always an invitation to walk and live separately from God. And it is never an opportunity to move closer to God. Temptation's desire is to pull us away, to make us question our relationship. So Jesus says, look, this is essential to your prayer life. Pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
I think learning to pray that will, will do three things for us. The first two things will specifically address verse 13. The last will include verses 14 and 15. Learning to pray this way, first, it causes us to recognize our temptation and our sinful nature. Learning to pray this way will cause you and I to recognize our temptations and our sinful nature. Now, we all have different areas that we're more vulnerable to, right? We probably know what those are. And so we would want to make sure in our prayer life that our, our prayers don't simply become something that we gather together and ask for more of something. I, I wonder if sometimes we're not like the kid in the grocery store line that gets in between, in between the two candy lines, you know, I mean the two counters while they're in line. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And if we're not careful, that becomes the maybe depth of our prayer life. I mean, even in our community groups, in my community group, at the end of our study, we gather together and we end in prayer. And what's the most common thing we do? We pray for somebody who's ill or pray for a situation that we might get something. When's the last time you gathered in a, uh, a group together and prayed and said, I need prayer because I'm tempted in this area? Well, I mean, that would almost sound like I'm weak or something, right? I mean, sin is our greatest threat in life. Deliverance from sin is our greatest need. Let's don't candy coat it. Let's be honest. By the time we leave tonight, we're either going to get in the car or show up at work tomorrow, and we're going to be tempted with some things, right? It's going to happen. See, temptation is not a sin. We just read Jesus faced it. And so we're going to face temptation, but temptation is merely the doorway that gets opened for us to act upon a sin or rebellion against God. You want to either close the door or run away from it, if you would. I was thinking this week, too, as you uh, would go back and look at chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to think about some of the things that Jesus had been teaching on before he teaches on prayer. Here's some of the things that he begins to speak about. He talks about anger. He, he talks about divorce about lust, about taking oaths or making promises and breaking them. He talks about retaliating against somebody who did wrong to you. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about how you handle your money. He goes through a whole list of things here, and then he comes to this Lord's Prayer and teaching them to pray and so in verse 13, when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, they had to be thinking about some of the things that Jesus had just been teaching, right? I think so. Again, our greatest threat in life is sin, and our greatest need is deliverance from sin. Now, as we think about our temptations, you might be here this evening and say, well, we can rattle off the big ones, not too difficult. 
you know, there are things like I'd be tempted to steal something maybe if I had to. I might be tempted with alcohol or drugs or pornography or, or, or you know, being dishonest. But, but what if we're honest with ourselves and say there's a whole group of temptations that we just want to maybe gloss over, right? Things like jealousy and coveting and anger and lying and paying back people for wrongs that they commit against us, sharp tongues, speaking poorly to our husband or wife. And then what if there's even another group that we would be so bold to confess to say, these have to do with my faith. You know, where I'm tempted to figure out ways just to make God fit when it's convenient versus starting with God and figuring out where life would fit properly. Or, or just showing up and being a church attender over living like a disciple. You get where I'm going, right? Hey, we're tempted in all these areas. What's our biggest threat? Sin. What's our biggest need? Deliverance from sin. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. So let's be honest and truthful about that. I was also thinking that verse 13 could easily become self-serving if we're not careful. I could list those temptations in my own life and think, well, you know, I want to avoid those, but it's kind of a self-centered reason for avoiding those. I, I don't want to get in trouble or I want more of you know, God's favor if I don't commit these things instead of saying, because I love God so much, because I know how much he loved me, the last thing I want to do is walk through that open door and sin against him. You, you see, again, Jesus begins by, here's how not to pray, but here's how to pray. It's developing a heart of worship and love for God and a desire to come before him and be with him. Verse 13 causes us to know our temptations and to be on the offense, to realize the things that I'm most tempted in, so avoid places, situations. If it's, if it's anger, then it's walking away from arguments that's going to bring me to a point where I become angry and say something I regret. If it's dishonesty, it's making sure I have people around me to keep me from being dishonest, whatever it is for you. And so not praying verse 13 again is almost a, a boastfulness before God. But I can handle this. Temptation's no big deal. Now next week is the Super Bowl. Sky, Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. And the, both teams are going to have two weeks to prepare for the big game, right? What do you think they were doing the last two weeks? They were getting ready and prepared for the game that they would go into, knowing where their weaknesses were, 
knowing where their opponent's weaknesses were. They would never just take two weeks off and show up for the game. Right? And yet, if we cease to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, it's just like going into a game like that without any thought or preparation. Would you say that's foolish? That's foolish. Number two, learning to pray, verse 13, causes us to remember God's power over temptation and sin. God alone is the person and has the power that we must rely on to resist temptations. Let me say it again. God alone is the person and has the power to lead us through temptations, enticement. Jesus, when he says, deliver us from evil, that word means to rescue or to be saved from peril. And so Jesus says, help us be aware of our temptations, but if we get into those places where we're going to be tempted, rescue me, deliver me, save me from this situation. Second Peter 2.9 says this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God knows how to rescue us from temptation and trials. Do you believe that? I do. I, I've lived it. I've experienced it before. We read on our bulletins earlier, 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. God alone is the person and provides the power to resist the temptations that you and I face. We are not left helpless to battle temptation. Now here's the awesome thing that we need to remember. Christ says in John chapter 14, when he tells those following him that he's going to leave, he then says, but I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that when you become a believer in me, a follower in me, the Holy Spirit now lives, dwells, and resides in us. And he goes on to say, he will remind you of everything I taught. And so he's sent the Holy Spirit to live within us and guide us. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who lives in us than the evil that's in the world that we face. And yet, if we say we don't need to pray about temptation, we're kidding ourselves. And so for some of us, all of us at some point, we, we give in. We, we find ourselves being tempted and walking through that door and sinning. Well, the good news is there's still forgiveness. Amen? Fighting temptation is hard. And, hey, guys, it's painful sometimes. It's not easy. Never forget God's presence and his power 
to help us resist temptation. Then and finally, the last point, including 13, 14, and 15, learning to pray this well, uh, this way directs our hearts to the hope and the power of the gospel. It directs our hearts to the hope and the power of the gospel. You know what? God is serious about dealing with sin. He, he can't accept sin. It's against who he is because he's perfect and holy and righteous. But you know what? God is also serious about forgiveness. That's the other side of this. Not only is he serious about sin, he is serious about forgiveness. He is so serious about forgiveness, he made the decision before time that he would send his one and only son to die on the cross because he is serious about forgiveness. And so this last piece of praying this way might address the biggest temptation that each and every one of us face, and that has to do with our relationship with other people. Maybe the biggest temptation we face has to do with our relationship with other people. Look at your Bibles with me, verses 9 through 15, real quickly. Six times in those verses, you hear the word forgive or forgiveness or forgiven. Six times in those verses. God is serious about forgiveness because it's part of his nature. Maybe we need reminded of this great cost of the gospel by God's part for us. And maybe we need reminded of the gospel moment by moment in our life as we live and face temptations, and especially temptations with other people. The problem is, temptation for us sometimes is that we begin to believe we're really better than we are if we're not careful. And, and again, we kind of slip out of praying verse 13 and minimize our own sin, and we forget about the great cost of forgiveness by God for us. So when someone sins against us or someone brings a wrong against us, we go after them, right? Because it's so unfair to be treated like this. But as believers, that's not the way God says we are to function in life. Easily we can forget our justification that was accomplished only by Christ. Brought into a right relationship with God, justified that he brought into being. And yet, we think about the forgiveness that it took on God's part for that. By grace, through faith, we withhold it from other people. Now, as I studied this week, I uh, ended up getting uh, into some old commentaries with some of the old theologians, and man, they were brutal with these passages. I mean, they were, I'm, you're getting it easy tonight. I could just stand up and read some of these guys. I mean, they were just brutal because they wanted to remind the readers, us, 
that God is serious about forgiveness. Jesus says as believers, we're to forgive others because we recognize the great cost and level of forgiven that was given to us. The gospel must change our relationship with others, meaning we now must live in such a way that forgiveness would be freely offered to those who offend us. And that's easy, right? Wrong. It's hard. Remember, my ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. So the very concept of forgiving somebody that has offended me is not the first thing that happens, or is it just Jeff that lives like that? Verses 14 and 15, catch this, it's real important. They're not saying that you're going to gain your salvation by forgiving others. It's real important that you hear me tonight. They're not saying that you're going to gain your salvation by forgiving other people. That would make salvation based on something we would do, which is wrong. But here's what it is saying. It says that when we live with a heart of unforgiveness, it disrupts our relationship with God. And here's here's the best way I could think of to explain it. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you remember times when your kids would fight, right? And, And they would be mean to each other. And I mean, just where did this come from? And so you grab them and you separate them and you say, look, that's not right. You, you need to apologize to your brother or sister and then they need to do what? What do they need to do? Forgive. And most kids, that doesn't happen right away. You know, the sinful nature kicks in. And so you grab them and you pull them together again and you say, look, You need to forgive your brother or sister. Now, what happens if you do that a couple of times and it still doesn't happen? Are you just going to forget it, let it go? No, the next thing you know, it disrupts your relationship with the child who is withholding forgiveness, right? Because you want to see them have a heart that is functioning properly and offering forgiveness and reflects the heart of God. And so until those two really get back together or should I say the one forgives the other you're a little bit strained in your relationship with that child because you want to make a point right and that's really what God is saying here as long as you withhold forgiveness from another person it strains our relationship with him Our our relationship is strained with God when we don't forgive. And so he's going to work to correct our heart to have a heart that is like his. Now, the interesting thing is when your kids do that, you don't kick them out of the family if they don't forgive the other person. And so, again, the point Jesus is making is it disrupts and strains our relationship with God when we don't forgive because we're not reflecting his heart. The other thing is when you live with an unforgiving heart, it it brings pain. It it robs you of joy. It's like taking poison and hoping the other person will die when you don't offer forgiveness. It's terrible, isn't it? 
You can't see them. You can't talk with them. You can't relate to them because you're withholding forgiveness in your heart. This evening, some of you might have had horrendous things happen to you. I don't want to minimalize that. Some of you may have been sinned against greatly at some point. But the command of God is let it go. Offer forgiveness. Don't hold on to it. Because it affects the health of your own spiritual life. See, living in the gospel will help us guard against seeking a payback for the offense against us. It'll change our heart. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, that we are to guard against letting a root of bitterness happen in our heart. And when we forget or refuse to forgive others, the root of bitterness has begun, hasn't it? And I don't look at people the way God looks at people. So the gospel changes our heart to say, because my sin is so great against God, I have no reason not to forgive another person. Here's our model, as I thought this week. Here's our model for why and how to do this. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. It's Jesus hanging on the cross, and as Christ hangs on the cross and looks out over the crowd that is gathered before him, he says these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, now here's what I want you to catch. Did anybody in the crowd cry out, Jesus, forgive me? Doesn't say that. Nobody is begging and pleading to be forgiven by Christ, Christ instead to reflect the Father's heart and to model for us this goodness of the gospel offers forgiveness to any that would receive it. He doesn't withhold forgiveness because nobody is crying out. He did not withhold the forgiveness out of a, a pain that he wanted to inflict on those that were gathered. As a matter of fact, I like the image of Christ hanging on the cross saying, I'm going to offer forgiveness right at the foot of the cross. Here it is. And all who call on the name of the Lord could be forgiven and saved. And the great offer of the gospel working in my heart and yours is we can offer forgiveness at the same foot of the cross for others, right? Colossians chapter 3 says this, we're to bear with one another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. The truth is, because of the gospel, you and I have no grounds for withholding forgiveness for another person. Now, let me be clear, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness simply says, I won't, withhold, or I won't withhold love and forgiveness to you. I choose to offer and open the door for us to reconcile. But that may never happen, right? Because the other person would need to respond. But if I hold on to my uh, anger, if I, if I hold on to the offense 
the door is closed. You, you release it. You, you say, because I have been forgiven much, I desire to forgive others. Forgiving others is evidence of genuine faith. But forgiving is not easy because, again, my thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are not his ways. I read this quote this week. And the person that wrote the quote said, It might be possible that we most closely reflect genuine faith and most closely reflect Christ in our own life when we forgive other people. We most closely reflect Christ in our life when we forgive other people. That's an interesting comment that I need to consider. The world sees unforgiveness regularly, don't they? They, they see battles within families and marriages and relationships and workplaces and governments and on and on and on. And you know what? When we live in the gospel and offer forgiveness, it's noticeable. It's noticeable and it provides that opportunity to say, you know, on my own, I can't do this. Only because I've been forgiven much by Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, this evening, as uh, we close out this sermon series on prayer, might it be in our prayer that you would not lead us into temptation? Would you help us to see and be aware of the areas that each one of us is tempted in? What are the things that we battle with most often that are temptations for us that we need to guard ourselves against? Would you bring that to mind for us tonight? Lord, would you help deliver us from those times in which temptation stands with the door open to walk through and sin against you? Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who rescues us, that it is you and you alone who promised that you'd never leave us, never forsake us, that you would live and dwell in our hearts, and that you are able to lead us through those times of temptation so that we do not willingly sin against you. Lord, thank you for the gospel, the beautiful gospel that reflects your heart of holiness and righteousness, and yet how serious you are about forgiveness, that you would send your one and only son, Christ, to die the most horrific death, that you could display forgiveness and offer it to us, uh, all who would repent and believe in Christ and the work on the cross. Lord, help us to remember and live in the gospel. Help us to be assured of the power of the gospel and Help us to live offering forgiveness to those in our own lives. Maybe there's some tonight who would have a family member or a friend or a colleague 
but there's been bitter battles. There's been an offense against us, and we have withheld forgiveness from them. Lord, help us to have a heart like yours that would offer forgiveness. And Lord, we want to do that because it would bring honor and glory to you. And it would reflect the gospel to a world that is desperate, that is desperately facing the effects of sin and the effects of broken relationships. So might you use us, might you use us to step out in faith and forgive like you forgave us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Let's sing about our hope. Let's sing about our deliverer, the one who delivers us from our sin.